always. Well, good evening, everybody. So good to see you here, and it's great to see those of you um, who are online. And thank you for coming to this evening's performance by the remarkable poet Mary Moore Easter. I'm Lisa German, university librarian and dean of libraries. And I'm pleased to welcome all of you in the audience, those here at Anderson and online. And can everybody hear me? OK, great. Mary Moore Easter is an artist in both movement and words. Her adult career as an independent dancer, choreographer, and founder and director of Carleton College's dance program overlapped with the writing as a Covey Canham Fellow at the Foundation for African American Poetry. In 2022, Carleton College named the new studios in the White Center for the creativity, for creativity, to honor her legacy. The Mary Easter Dance Studios. She has also received several awards, including multiple McKnight Awards in Interdisciplinary Arts, the Loft Literary Center's Creative Nonfiction Award, and residencies at the Artist Community at Ragdale and the Anderson Center in Minnesota. Among her latest publications is her memoir of Dance and Race, The Way She Wants to Get There, Telling on Myself. She also is the author of four poetry books, From the Flutes of Our Bones, The Body of the World, which was a finalist for the Minnesota Book Award, Walking from Origins, and Free Papers. Tonight, we'll hear her read from a collection of poems inspired by the testimony of Eliza Winston, a Mississippi enslaved person who escaped to freedom in Minnesota in 1860. Reviewer Dale, Darl Cumber Dance wrote of this poetic tour de force by Mary Moore Easter, free papers is a welcome reminder that we will never attain self-knowledge, freedom, and indeed salvation until we discover and embrace the ancestors. Speaking of those who came before us, I'd like to share an acknowledgement that is relevant and important to all of us. The University of Minnesota Twin Cities is built within the traditional homelands of the Dakota people. It is important to acknowledge the peoples on whose land we live, learn, and work as we seek to improve and strengthen our relations with tribal nations. We also acknowledge that words are not enough. We must ensure that our institution provides support, resources, and programs that increase access to all aspects of higher education for American Indian students, staff, faculty, and community members. Now please join me in welcoming Mary Moore Easter.
held as the slave of, having been raised by, hired my time of my master, payment of a thousand dollars, take our house and give me my free papers, paying the balance due in money, pawned me for $800 before he could redeem me, never sold. Became the slave of, held as the slave of, having been raised by, hired my time of my master, hired my time of my master, payment of $1,000, take our house and give me my free papers, paying the balance due in money, pawned me for $800. Before he could redeem me, never sold. Became the slave of, held as the slave, having been raised by, hired my time, payment of $1,000, take our house, balance due in money, pawned me for $800 before he could redeem me. Never sold, never sold, never sold. Balance due in money, balance due in money, balance due in money, balance due in money. This numerical evaluation I have cobbled from the testimony of Eliza Winston is one representation of the life of the enslaved Eliza. She left much more than that. Thank you, Lisa German, for that kind introduction. Detailed, too. Okay. <laughs> Please welcome my co-readers, um, Dr. Joan Hepburn, a retired English professor and specialist in West African theater from St. Olaf, and Sadiqa uh, Shabazz, actor at uh, Pillsbury House at Guthrie Theater, and she is also the executive director of Culture, um, thank you, Culture Club Collaboration. <laughs> they are going to sit down until I desperately need them, and I will call them back. <laughs> Thank you to um, the members of the Friends of the Library Committee um, for inviting me and giving me this chance to amplify the voice of Eliza Winston. I have the chapbook already, but I have more um, to say around it. How did I come upon the information that would lead to this book? And I haven't mentioned the entire name of the book. I put it all in the title so that people would see that a slim book had a lot of stuff in it, okay? <laughs> so the entire title is Free Papers, Poems Inspired by the Testimony of Eliza Winston, a Mississippi Slave Escaped to Freedom in Minnesota in 1860. Eliza's story and the racial reckoning it caused has been one of the hundred best stories of Minnesota legend. Her freedom formed the centerpiece of tremendous racial change in the formative years of this state. For foundational research, I thank Dr. William D. Green, author of Eliza Winston and the Politics of Freedom in Minnesota, 1854-60. Full acknowledgement of resources is in the book, so I won't repeat it here. Eliza Winston is my entry to a new phase of historical curiosity. My bio demonstrates my desire to know the people who led up to my existence. Ancestry has been the motivator of my artistic work for a long time, from noticing family stories with my childhood ear 
to making dance and spoken performance out of my questions and queries, to singing my lineage, to traveling to the west coast of Africa and standing in slave embarkation sites for what I could absorb there. After years of plumbing this material to encounter the generations of people who were coming to be me, as I put it in a poem, I arrived at Eliza Winston, not my relative, not purely a story I imagined from bits and pieces, but her own voice speaking into my ear. Here's the scene. Can you hear me? Okay, great. At the Minnesota African American Heritage Museum and Gallery on Plymouth Avenue, I reviewed the holdings. On such a gray day, I needed something to jumpstart me. There, taped to the wall, was a sheet of paper copied from the Minnesota Historical Society, the testimony of Eliza Winston. I did not know such a thing existed. My response came in these poems. Request for help. When you can't go forward, healing is in the past, the old folks used to say. Known to be indifferent when inflicting pain, the universe poured forth mercy on me in black abundance. Eliza is my gift to you. Eliza's trembling heart is my gift for you. Eliza's risk is my gift for you. Eliza's courage is my gift for you. Eliza's open eye is my gift to you. Poem two, in my extremity. There you were, Eliza, gold from God in plain sight. No one had picked you up, wiped the muck from the landscape of your face. Gold, I tell you, left for me to find, to polish. I won't say to own. We've had enough of that. I'm no colonizer of your shores, no conqueror to whom you must submit. Rather, a mirror that reflects what it sees, the you that was me, the background that was your time, the spaces surrounding you where I'd rummage and find my own things. Only grace could have offered this circumstance to me, the overlooked coin of the realm a prize for the one who picks it up, recognizes a value previously unimagined. I feel anointed by the discovery of you, a realm at the beck and call of all that is fertile in me, my feet untethered to walk your fields, climb the mountains embossed under the black of your golden face. The old folks would shout, do Jesus. In the first paragraph of Eliza's testimony, she fluidly explains her history to Judge Vanderberg. Every line is a treasure trove, a live woman speaking, not a researcher or scholar. This text lets us know how she understands her condition in her own words. 
and what she thinks of herself. First paragraph of the testimony. My name is Eliza Winston. I am 30 years old. I was held as the slave of Mr. Golson of Memphis, Tennessee, having been raised by Mr. Maclamo, father-in-law of Mr. Golson. I married a free man of color who hired my time of my master, who promised me my freedom upon payment of $1,000. My husband and myself worked hard, and he invested our savings in a house and lot in Memphis, which was held for us in Mr. Golson's name. I ask you, right off the bat, if you hear any surprises. Is this the way you imagine an enslaved woman speaking? Is this the image produced in our current media and political arguments of an enslaved woman? Sprinkles throughout her testimony, Eliza displays a pride in self, a series of standards not imposed on her by others. Who, in our current world, would read, understand, and analyze for an audience what she reveals? A black minister speaking to the flock on a contemporary Sunday morning might find her a handy example. I will read The Preacher with Joan Hepburn voicing Eliza. And this is called, in the words of her mouth, a sermon is made. Sisters and brothers, the message this morning is taken from the testimony of Eliza in the Book of Ancestors. Her story, in the words of her mouth, has a lot to tell us about ourselves in this day far from her day. Sisters and brothers, bow your heads and prepare your hearts to hear this woman speak to you from the past. Hear her say, My name is Eliza Winston. Testify, Eliza. Testify. I, we hear you. I am 30 years old. Tell the truth. Eliza is a full-grown woman, not a child. She say, Held as a slave of... Well, May the slave owner's name not be called to keep us safe from his sin. Amen. I married a free man of color. She says she was a slave, but she say she was also a married woman, joined by her choice to a man of the free tribe. She's telling us that even back in that day and in that place, they didn't have to be of the same tribe and condition to make a bond to make a bond. She say, this free man hired my time of my master. Y'all hear this? In the language of the day, this means a free black man paid her owner for her labor to make her time free. Hallelujah. Y'all don't hear me. This upstanding man didn't just come with pretty words. He was a man of action. He paid for the work she did for someone else to free her of obligation 
Hallelujah. Look into yourself and see if you can find that commitment. Do you have that in you? Eliza tells y'all to think on it. My husband and myself worked hard. They toiled side by side. One free, the other's freedom on layby. And he invested our savings in a home and a lot. Put aside your shares for the future. Squander not your sheaves. Take your lesson from Eliza's mouth. The house is rented for $8 per month. Rejoice, sisters and brothers. Rejoice in the bounty of the Lord for him that doeth good things. But trouble was on the horizon and dark clouds gathered. My husband died in Liberia. Far from the soil of home, far from his wife, his shelter, a stranger in a strange land. My master pawned me for $800. She say he pawned her. Like a diamond bracelet, like a fine vase, like a farm tool with blood in its veins, with a promise of repayment. And died before he could redeem me. I was never sold. Eliza passed from hand to hand, from generation to generation, with no one to hire her time for her labor. But do not despair, say the prophets, in the darkest hour, do not despair. Do not hide the light of yourself under a bushel. Let your goodness shine forth. Eliza say, I have always been faithful, and no master I have ever had has found fault with me. Right alongside her goodness, the light of freedom was burning in Eliza and shining forth too. No master or mistress could see it, because they never imagined it there in a black woman, a pond thing. But shout hallelujah for Eliza and join in the singing of the old song, Come Down From Our Ancestors, hymnal number 242. Mm -hmm. Oh, freedom, oh, freedom. Before I'd be a slave, I'd be buried in my grave and go home to my Lord and be free. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Eliza, oh, you, thank you. Hold it, okay. <laughs> Eliza lived in community as her duties allowed. Here, she recalls meeting Jim, the man who would become her husband. Free swagger. Jim, they called him, in all his free swagger, coming round to see me. And me, 
sneaking a moment between the kitchen and the back door to hear this Jim. Mm hmm To say something to this Jim who keep coming round when I fetch the kettle for Mistress Toddy, when I leave off the linen from Mistress' sick room. I saw myself when words took over from just looking and pushed silence away. I saw myself not by myself with this Jim. Jim Winston, he said, who keep coming round with his free swagger. Gonna buy you free, he said. <laughs> that man got some nerve gonna buy me free. And he think he know how. Got a plan. And I know how. And it's us now. Not me by myself. Don't you say there ain't no roses in my life. in her community, were friends who sewed a wardrobe for her new life in freedom. They tried to imagine what the weather in Minnesota would require. <laughs> Sitting in Mississippi, they tried to imagine the weather in Minnesota. Good luck. <laughs> Those who made two years' worth of her clothes tell about it. Woman one. He'd tell the land would be white in winter. He'd tell the white would be soft as cotton with thorns of ice, not growing from the ground, but falling from the sky. He'd tell what she gonna need for a body used to heat. I make a secret round my waist of mistress ripped pantaloons, stolen honey cover, smuggled down the slave line, ripped at will. She won't miss its rent, unmended. Plenty more where that come from. Second woman. As long as these old fingers hold a thimble, you will not tremble in whatever cold they have for you, Eliza. You are not motherless without cover in your solitude. Take with you this vest with sleeves stitched and doubled, cotton stuffed, these skirts and sack shirts closed with pilfered buttons, tagged with bits of cut-off ribbon to remind your joy to rise inside your obedient face, your fire to blaze inside whatever cold they have for you. Take us with you in each fold and pleat, armored by the freedom that you seek. And so they came up the river, way up from Shiloh Plantation, Mississippi to St. Anthony Falls, Minnesota. Another man done gone, 
In droves they came. They left the heat behind, the Mississippi musk and heavy air. A change of scene would do them good, the falls and water rushing free in foam. They took their comforts with them. Cook, who kept the South inside their mouths. Slave, who'd sleep on floor outside their door, waked at any whim or need. The hand that held the sickly head and kept the children out of mind, that hefted, smoothed, and scurried, dark as nighttime in the day, invisible, a nothing to imagine with a plan. I don't know where he's gone. Eliza came, was brought along to hold the sickly head. She left the bondage of her home behind, left friends who knew her leaving was for good and kept her plan for freedom sealed left musk and heavy air and duties owned by those whose promises betrayed her trust. She did her very best, a comfort to herself, her standard steady overturning water, her forward motion out of sight beneath the flashing surface of the paddle boat. She smoothed and scurried, closely confined by minutes Hours, days, nights, waiting to alight on land, free land. Eliza has kept the secret of her escape plans on the several day journey up the Mississippi, has kept it to herself on the ride from her disembarkation in St. Paul overland to the famed luxury of the Winslow House hotel. When Eva Eliza's voice started to reach me, she triggered other voices who piped up and entered our conversation. So I have the pleasure of the voices you've heard Joan Hepburn, and you will now hear Siddiqua Shabazz embody the characters in Winslow House, a script for three voices. This time, come up, Siddiqua will read Eliza, and Joan will read Grandmother Moore, and I will read the poet, obviously. <laughs> Good luck to you, following it through. Having come from her owner's extravagant house, where she meets every need of feeble mistress and child, Eliza is decidedly not impressed by the Winslow House. <laughs> Winslow House, the big house in the north, five stories tall, curved banisters, silk drapes, nothing new to me except the soil it sits on is free soil. Not the slave dirt of the delta holding the bones of a stranger who looked aside at me once, a side eye at me once. My mother? 
then quick, drew her gaze back to the hoe, whip bent staring down that handle into her grave. Winslow House. Masters and slaves on every floor, mistresses and the maids they owned to dress them. My grandmother was a maid and nanny. I was never owned. I served for good pay. I had a house once. Me too, Eliza. Me too. And a lot. We invested our savings in. This house was rented for $8 per month. A little cottage seaside. Mine. When I was four, Grandma, the sea there on my ankles. I had a husband once. Me too, Eliza. Twice. <laughs> Man with the plan to buy me free. Mine was never owned either. He served for pay driving that big car far away. Man with the view from the big world. I wanted to walk in the big world. The house, you too? It's my story to tell. Go away. <laughs> to the world in our house, two backs bent to the work, bent to the laws that gave master the holding, along with the promise he never could keep. Death, you know? kept the secret of his failure. Jim, they called my husband. Jim, I said, my choice. My son, Jim. Jim, my father. I said, hush. <laughs> Jim was free. Master took his money for my labor. My husband used to traveling. My husband, by request, went out with the company of emancipated slaves to Liberia and was to stay for two years. $8 a month by one year is $96. $8 per month by two years amounts to $192 of my labor earned towards my freedom. My husband died in Liberia, and I was pawned to pay my master's debts, but never sold free. Death kept the measure of his failure. I have never received one cent of my property at Memphis since my husband died. A free man with the house we would own. We would, would own. own never stayed at Winslow House. Slaves and masters on every floor. Thank you, Mr. Mm -hmm. Keeping the past has enormous problems is the past we venerate the whole story or a selection of facts designed to enhance one group and then to obscure the contributions of another. Records in the courtroom, but none of her life before. The epigraph is for all of us who come from people who signed with exes, Danez Smith. 
Someone took it down. Their sworn duty to record every word. Only one sign of her sound. Macklemore. Explained in parentheses. Macklemore. The tongue of her region, her status. The, her origin outside taught English. No further apostrophe or dropped consonant to interfere with eloquence and flow like she could even back then especially back then in the ex-signed days, could wrap and roll out her life with all its twists, turns, and switchbacks. Indignation in the unsaid, another thing while I'm at it, I will say also I have never received one cent from my property in Memphis. Talk back, poking through a retort to coulda, woulda, shoulda, freedom promises. Why didn't you give it in St. Louis? Someone took it down, and her voice lived right into my ear. No one took down Eliza at five years old, at four, at her mother's breast or some other breast assigned to keep her alive when her mother's birth body gave out, worn out, worn down to its last act of giving her breath. Nothing documents the opposite. A mother's shield in the early days tied to her back, first steps the surprise of quick speech, the shush of her tongue in danger. No one took down which loss cemented her concept of self, held as the slave of Mr. Golson, raised by Mr. McLemont, instead of daughter of. What name goes here, Liza? born of a woman like every one of us who draws breath and turns to ashes, born of a woman, flesh of her flesh, the one made to at first inhale of a world. What name? Macklemore, Golston, Christmas, Babbitt, Bigelow, King, Vanderburg, Around her, names and histories abound, wives and progeny and property in records and deeds and diaries and newspapers and courtrooms and censuses and street addresses and cemeteries and votes. Eliza, a flame blown out, leaving smoke and the burnt end of a paper. She wasn't prepared to meet a mob. Eliza didn't expect roses and sunshine. Where in her life had there ever been roses? Still, she wasn't prepared to meet a mob at the threshold of the courtroom, place of triumph, free, free to walk into arms raised against her, shouts bursting above an angry murmur, malign intent simmering in the air. Her guardians grasped her arms, hustled her to a carriage. She gasped in the gallop of hooves away to a big house, away to clamor at the door, crowd gathering outside. In the simmer, she stood free in the stairwell. When they battered the door, she stood free as the lady of the house leveled her pistol and fired a shot that backed them away. All night, the mob would not have it, this freedom that damaged their purses. Resistance lurked in the air. Protectors whisked her farther away, under a cloak in a disguise, fear rattling her free chest, steady pulse to sustain her. How, how far away was freedom and rest?
what comes now. Is it chopping in the low ground? Huh. What had Eliza seen that didn't make it into her testimony? Is it chopping in the low ground? Ha! At the time she set off for Minnesota, Shiloh confined 166 enslaved persons. Is it chopping in the low ground, great God Almighty? How did her master keep control of such a large group on this forced labor camp? as Nicole Hannah-Jones renames plantations in the book 1619. Oh, here comes the captain. He's got his bullwhip. Great God Almighty, huh? This is the world she escaped. Lord, I'm out here on your word. A plea each time Eliza was set to hide in the wood, waiting for rescue to find her. Lord, I'm out here on your word. A reminder of promises, a compact for faith, met with courage inside risk. Words forced from her lips by uncertainty, borrowed from others who looked for hope in despair, while she bided her time alone. Great God Almighty. No way she knew to say, I celebrate myself. And yet, she did. She could not say what hadn't been written yet. Come celebrate with me. That every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. She took her one hand holding tight her other hand and set out not without regret in clear pursuit of what most thought she couldn't win and didn't deserve to get. Hers was the year Clotilde, the last slave ship, sneaked into anchor and was set afire to hide the crime, disgorging a hundred Africans onto land where they met the very bondage she would not accept. She could not see six months ahead, a nation split, half willing to forget the principles that bound them, half standing up to pay a debt to stolen men and women. She did not know the details of the world that swirled around her world. She took off anyway. On the roiling surface of the wet river, her deeds stretching out in unseen time and space. She is here now. Eliza steps out from the erasure of slavery to leave words in a court document that blaze a light and bristle a world. I refuse her utter blankness after she seizes freedom. Although she became free, as a black woman, she had nowhere to go, no one to care once her drama served their principles. Unlikely we will find her a nurse girl in Memphis. Memphis was burning. Don't let her go. Find her here, now. 
Her courage ignites our courage. Keep her risk inside our risk. Let's see the world out of her open eyes, hear her outspoken voice in our own mouths. Go from these pages to a freedom she cedes to you and you and you. Keeping the past requires our vigilance in the current era where resistance has reached the level of laws against teaching the covered up and denied truth of our national experience. Keep the past. Thank you. very much. Questions and comments? Yes. Also, they're filming. Okay, they're filming. Okay. Hi, Mark. <laughs> Don't necessarily want to be on the film, though. Good evening. Um, I just wanted to say that I just left the lecture um, by Nicole Hannah-Jones oh. as well. And I wanted to tell you that listening to you, it's amazing how you're on the same wavelength. There's the connection of Mississippi, where her father is from. Mm -hmm. um, your connection in, in reading this and this uh, reconstruction for us, mm -hmm. um, a, a person's life and dignity with that. Mm -hmm. I first want to say thank you for being a witness mm -hmm. and um, what you just said about Eliza being here mm -hmm. resonates with the lecture that she just gave and talking about how often in looking at um, the horrors of chattel slavery mm -hmm. um, and the Jim Crow that followed for 100 years after that, that simulated a more sophisticated version of that, is that we don't reckon with, in the present, which she is here now, how these things connect us to an Eliza who could be in this room, a mm -hmm. similar story of not being free. Mm -hmm. One of the things that connected your, uh, your readings as well was uh, the focus on black women, mm -hmm. which are often forgotten in these accounts, that particularly the accounts of the womb, and how things from the womb of black women are, are pathologized um, in this way. And also the amount of theft that happens um, through chattel slavery, mm -hmm. Jim and Jane Crow, um, uh, which needs to be specific. I wanted to ask you that um, in the poem, or the readings that you were reading, you mentioned the hundred, forget the amount, but the accounting for the monies that uh, she did not get for the time that her husband was in, Liber in Liberia. Mm -hmm. um, is that part of the true account of that, yes, once again, that theft of... It's in the testimony. Um, it's amazing the amount. It, the testimony is like three typed pages. That's it. And um, she, she put, out, put all of this out. Um, She's a person who signed with an X, so she was not reading it to a judge. 
she was simply telling her story. And the $8 a month, the, the house that they bought, the rent for $8 a month, the um, need to complete the sum of $1,000 for her freedom, that's all in the testimony. It is right there. Yeah. And so she is, when she's remembering him, she's doing the math in her head. He was gone for two years. Well, that means this is the amount of money that was accumulated, and she never got any of it. And of course, it was listed in the um, slave owner's name because a slave had no legal standing. Um, her husband was free. Oh, I had great hopes. I was going to, I was going to Tennessee. This was a, at this period, Tennessee had uh, the Freedmen's Bureau. So there were something like, I don't think I'm inflating this number just to make a point, but there was something like um, 18,000 free black slaves in Memphis. And I was thinking, so Eliza didn't just take the first guy who came along. <laughs> all right. All right. That suggested that to me. I'll put it that way. All right. All right. So, um, okay. Am I back to your question? First no, of all, that, I'm wowed that, that you just came from Nicole Hannah-Jones. Yes. I mean, I... <laughs> and I had to make it. I was like, I have to see it. And now I know why, because there's so many connections mm -hmm. that you made directly with Mississippi, mm -hmm. uh, the focus on black women, which gets lost mm -hmm. in the narrative um, of what happens mm -hmm. today, that mm -hmm. Eliza is here mm -hmm. in different forms, mm -hmm. you see, okay. uh, experiencing some of the same. So thank you for um, doing this very impor important research thank you. to share with us. Thank you very much. All right, um, at the time, there are no online questions, but I will just extend on behalf of the online participants and myself as a staff member, um, sincere gratitude for hosting us and your work tonight. So I'll yield the rest of my time to the in-person candidates, but again, thank you very much for being here. Thank you, thank you very much, yeah, all of you. Okay. Must be some. I heard some grunts and mumbles <laughs> all, all along the way. Yeah. Okay. Back there and up here. Okay. I have two questions. Mm -hmm. Two quick questions. Uh, what stuck out the most for you when you read the testimony? And secondly, what happened to her? Do you know? Well, this is how much I know. Okay. Um, the legend of Eliza is that she escaped to Canada, but it is William Green's research that shows that he, two months later, she spoke to a gathering of abolitionists um, in Minnesota, and that the route to Canada was not just, you know, up 35. <laughs> it went through Detroit, and he estimates that there was no way she could have um, had that amount of time to go all the way to Canada and to come back in time for this abolitionist conference. I was not able to find the text of that meeting. Um, and so, for my purposes, it's unknown what happened to her. Um, I will tell you a couple of things that I know that um, uh, the, there was great interest in slave stories um, in the North. 
And once the person was freed, there was less interest. The stories were not as dramatic. Um, and so um, a person that had you know, just escaped and had that horrifying tale to tell was of more public interest. And also, um, in Minnesota, um, the difficulty was, one of the difficulties was that um, it was in the Minnesota Constitution that there would be no enslaved persons on Minnesota land. And yet, um, the populace really divided over um, Eliza's freedom because um, slaveholders from the South, it was easy for them to come north on the Mississippi and spend um, time here. And so as her family did, other families came and they brought their slaves with them. And um, Minnesota did not want to offend them. I mean, the Winslow, Winslow House actually, after the freedom of Eliza, fell into disrepair and was not able to continue. This is a, a really travel and vacation destination um, that had been, and in the Minnesota Historical Society, they, they brought out some trays for me, and I actually saw menus from that time, and um, postcards and things of that sort. So it was a very value thing. I'm getting off the subject, okay? <laughs> um, but I, so I do not know the answer. And um, if I have COVID as one of my excuses, because I was just going to research this thing down to the ground, right? Um, but um, two-year interruption um, sort of brought that to an end. So I don't know what happened to her. Mm -hmm. Yes. No, you, you, you. <laughs> Partly answered my question already. Mm -hmm. Partly about what happened to her, but. Can you tell, tell us more about the, the trial? Was that about her being given back to her uh, owners? It was um, an abolitionist plan to um, avoid what had happened at Fort Snelling to, um, okay, help me, I have the name. Dred Scott, yes, because he was returned to his master. And so the abolitionists were thinking that if they could take her course, her case to court, she could be declared legally free, and that would protect her from being returned. And um, a part of the legend of the, the legend that appears in various books and renditions is that her, no, it's in the, it's in the testimony, um, her master offers her $10 to come back with them. <laughs> She says, no, I prefer freedom. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's how the, that's how the court case um, developed. Yeah. And that meant that her freedom was assured. Not unfortunately, um, the continued care for her attention. Um, well, I just don't know about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Linda. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned a woman named Moore in the Winslow Hotel. Um, that is your ancestor. That is my father's mother. Mm -hmm. There is a another. There are another 
um, poems at the end of the book where um, they are chart-like in which I trace my family from the farthest back we can. Um, I match it up with the dates of Eliza. These are not people that are related, oh, excuse me, um, these are not in the testimony, but it is what are the similarities? My great-grandmother was born enslaved, and um, I know the way the family um, progresses from that point, but I cannot go beyond that. I have not been able to go beyond that. And um, with the work that um, Henry Louis Gates is doing, to whom I bow every day, um, <laughs> Uh, on ancestry and also with the developments in DNA testing, it might be possible to know something more about my family. Um, but um, sometimes, um, or once, <laughs> I started this by singing the song of the generations of my family that starts, um, Anna Mallory was born a slave, so was Eliza Winston. Okay, to match up um, the, the progression of the generations. We have time for one more question. Um, thank you for um, invoking the sister spirit in the room to uh, your artistic interpretation. Um, thank you. A couple things. It, it's, it's funny, like this whole, the, the, you know, freedom. Mm. What does that really mean? Mm -hmm. And um, listening to your story, this is a real life experience as of today. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. This young lady's cousin called her and had a question about his personal freedom because he had a job in a country club here in uh, St. Paul. Hmm. And um, I guess there was a, uh, some kind of event and um, he was told that he was scaring the white people uh, who gathered for uh, some kind of uh, event there. He was a part of the event staff. And he was told he had to go to the back room and he couldn't come out. And he, he was very frustrated and, and clearly stressed as he was communicating this story today. Mm -hmm. But then he began to also talk about the menu, which they had plantation chicken. Mm. <laughs> oh my God. So this is a real life experience, Mike, as of today in 2022. And so this, and he's in St. Paul, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. So I'm, 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 now we're bringing it up to right now. And my question to you is for the sister Eliza right now, mm -hmm. who might be coming up from Jackson, Mississippi, mm -hmm. as of today, mm -hmm. and she arrives to the Twin Cities, what would be her idea and her experience of freedom? <laughs> Well, of course, I, you're asking me to speculate. And um, I've sort of taken on speculation, but I had something to go on. I had what she said, okay? And um, I really would like to stress that, that, um, you know, the, the, this story and um, the things that are buried in it evoke all sorts of testimonies of true things, okay? But um, on Eliza Winston, I don't want to simply do speculation. My whole point was, you asked me, um, I think, what was my favorite part. My favorite part was that the woman just grew up alive in front of me from her words, not just from what I have studied 
elsewhere. But the actual words that she used, the way that she expressed herself, there was a person. It was a person. It's not just me totally speculating about, about things. So I, I, what I appreciate that you're asking is um, how much her story evokes true stories of today. And I don't want to put that down at all, but I do not want to speculate about Eliza. She is a real person um, who doesn't need me to make up something about her. It's not made up. She said it. Um, you know, some of what's in the tes testimony, I read 15 times, and I would suddenly think on the 15th time, oh my god, she had friends. Mm -hmm. I hadn't, mm -hmm. it's right there. She had friends, friends who were sewing her clothes. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, that means they knew she was going to leave. Mm -hmm. That means they didn't tell on her. Mm -hmm. So my sense of community comes out of what she tells here, what she says. Um, that she says, you know, she was closely confined and didn't have time to socialize as many of the slaves did. Well, she had just enough time that these people surface in her narrative. I'm trying to answer you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, well, <laughs> um, I do want to say one more thing about um, Nicole Hannah-Jones. I wrote this before I read 1619. And I, um, I, I, I'm amazed. I mean, what she did. If the only thing she accomplished, I think she, she has accomplished something enormous. This is Nicole Hannah-Jones, 1619. If the only thing she accomplished is the replacement of the word plantation with forced labor camps, that would be a plenty. If every time somebody used the expression plantation, plantation weddings, you know, they, they have a certain allure, plantation tours, if they use the phrase forced labor camps instead, I would be satisfied. I'd be one person who would be satisfied. Okay? So one of my um, uh, favorite quotes is, we are our ancestors' wildest dreams. And, and as I, I thought about uh, the words that, that Mary Moore Easter said, and that Hannah Nicole Jones probably said, I wish I was, wanted to see there, but <laughs> glad you did both. Yes. Uh, so I'm reminded of that today. Uh, so my name is Amelius White. I'm chair of the Friends of the Library uh, here at the University of Minnesota. Uh, this is my second year as chair, and the second, only the second opportunity I've had to actually stand in front of people in person. Uh, and say thank you for coming to our friends and supporters. Uh, thank you for those who are online for joining us. Um, to all of those who are here attending this Friends Forum event in Anderson Library and those watching online, your presence is, is greatly appreciated. Uh, I also want to thank our members of the Friends Board who are here. We have uh, many current board members, and what I love about the Friends, we have a number of former board members who still like to come to our meetings, mm -hmm. still like to come to our events, and so I want to thank all of them for being here. Um, 
Thank you to uh, Mary Moore Easter. I decided she gets to stay at the podium. I'll, I'll stand over here. Uh, so thank you to her. Thank you to uh, Joan Hepburn, who I realized, learned today is from Brooklyn, same as me, uh, not too far from Nostrand Avenue, uh, just different side of Brooklyn. Uh, and to uh, Sadiqa Shabazz as well. Uh, it was a great and meaningful reading. I. I always think about, I always leave these events having learned something and, um, and knowing things that I didn't know when I got here. And the way in which you ended it, Keep the Past, uh, resonated with me a couple of, about a month and a half ago, I went to Washington, D.C. and visited the National Archives. And there's mm -hmm. two statues. There are four statues, but there's two on one side. One of them says, Past is Prologue. The other one says, Study the Past. Mm -hmm. And as I think about and I shared that with folks in the library mm -hmm. space in a newsletter, but thinking keep the past actually goes a little bit beyond just studying it. Mm -hmm. and, and so mm -hmm. I think that that resonated with me. Uh, this event is sponsored by the Friends of the Library, so thank you for those who are friends. Mm -hmm. uh, if you are not a friend and you wish to join, we'll gladly allow you to do that. Uh, you can find out more about the Friends of the Libraries in the Friend Forum, the Friends Forum uh, series for Curious Minds, on uh, the Continuum website. Uh, I would like to welcome you all, whether you're friends or not, to join us in January, that's next month, right? Uh, for our next Friends Forum event, uh, A Feast of Words, Tribal Environmental Knowledge and Partnerships, Solving 21st Century Challenges, featuring uh, Mike Dockery, an assistant professor in the Department of Forestry at the University of Minnesota. The event is January 26th. Uh, at 5 o'clock at the Campus Club in our student union. And I hope to see many of you there. It'll be an interesting topic uh, with great food. So for those online, thank you for joining us and have a good night. For those who are here in person, please join us in the book for a book signing and refreshments in the atrium in Safe Travels Home. And for everyone, best wishes for uh, time spent with family and friends over the next couple of weeks and a good start to the new year. So thank you. Thank you. Your, your readings are so compelling. They are so compelling.